Evan, let's turn our eyes now and our attention to the International Court of Justice. Over a couple of days, as many as 52 countries are going to be arguing before the International Court of Justice on the Israeli occupation of Palestinian territories. Uh, yesterday, of course, uh, we heard from, among others, the Palestinian Foreign Minister, Riyad al-Maliki, demanding what he calls an immediate an unconditional and total end to the occupation. As I welcome my guest, I want you to listen to two pieces of audio which we've clipped for you. Firstly, the Palestinian ambassador to the UN, uh, Mansour, breaking down in tears as he asked, what does international law mean for Palestinians? How can it be different for them, if not the same as everyone else in the world? Have a listen to Riyadh Mansour. What does international law mean for Palestinian children in Gaza today? It has protected neither them nor their child. It has not protected their families or communities. It has not protected their lives or limbs, their hopes or homes. We are a proud and resilient people that has endured more than its share of agony. It is so painful to be Palestinian today. Arguing on behalf of the Palestinian Authority was an international human rights lawyer, Paul Reichler, who, when he made his argument, quoted from the former U.S. President Barack Obama's memoir about the contradiction countries like America face in their support for the State of Israel. According to former U.S. President Barack Obama, in the memoir he published in 2020, just about every country in the world considered Israel's continued occupation of the Palestinian territories to be a violation of international law. As a result, our diplomats found themselves in the awkward position of having to defend Israel for actions that we ourselves opposed. This is exactly what the United States is doing again in these proceedings. Mr. President, members of the court, the evidence is before you. In the written submissions of the State of Palestine and dozens of other states and international organizations and in the voluminous materials supplied to you by the Secretary General and it is indisputable. Under the umbrella of its prolonged military occupation, Israel has been steadily annexing the occupied Palestinian territory, and it continues to do so. Dr. Oscar van Heerden is the Senior Research Fellow for the Center for Diplomacy and Leadership at the University of, of Johannesburg and is our guest this morning. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Perhaps let's start with the difference between what we are seeing at The Hague over the next few days versus our application as South Africa in January. What is the difference there? Uh, good morning, Bongan, and good morning to your listeners. Yeah, the big difference is the case that uh, South Africa brought against Israel um, specifically talks of the violation of the, the Convention on Genocide. Um, both Israel and South Africa are signatories to the Convention. Um, as you know, after October 7, there was a brutal attack on Israelis, uh, both military and civilians, by the armed group Hamas. Um, and that then triggered a response by the Israeli government, um, which is now in its third 
month, a fourth month almost, um, having killed more than 29,000 um, people in Gaza. Um, and uh, because of the indiscriminate killing of women and children, uh, among others, South Africa then uh, thought it important to take Israel as a fellow signatory to the International Court of Justice to say that uh, indeed they think Israel is positioned Then, as you know, ruled in favor of that and said indeed it feels that there are plausible genocide happening and that Israel must stop uh, their uh, offensive, uh, the killing of uh, Gazan, Palestinians and so forth, the trauma, the displacement and allow humanitarian law, none of which Israel has complied with. So that's the South African case. This case currently before the ICJ and those rulings, I might add, uh, Bongani, those, that ruling is binding on the Israelis. Um, in other words, the United Nations Security Council uh, needs to discuss measures of enforcing what the court has ruled. That, that's what we mean by binding. This case, however, is about the occupation of Israel on the Palestinian territories, particularly the West Bank, um, East Jerusalem, and of course, Gaza. Um, the outcome of which is not binding. I think it's important that the listeners understand that. But even though it is not binding, uh, the moral authority uh, of the world court is such that a number of uh, member states that are signatories to the UN Charter um, will, of course, take into consideration the advisory uh, um, note that the, the court will rule. Um, and the truth is, as you've just played in the clip, the American lawyer did uh, indicate, uh, and I agree, that there is numerous precedent on this issue of occupation, a number of United Nations resolutions that talks of the occupation uh, and the fact that it must yeah. end, that talks of the two-state solution and so on and so forth. At a casual glance, a layperson may ask you... Um, what is the point of all of this? You talk about uh, the number of UN resolutions. You talk about the moral authority of the ICJ. And in the context of what should have been a binding ruling, uh, very little has changed despite the court saying there may be plausible or at least a plausible case for genocide. Notwithstanding, of course, that uh, it did not call for a ceasefire. Uh, the genesis of this occupation, if I'm correct, goes back to 1967 in the Six-Day War. Israel argues that it seized these territories from sovereign nations that it went to war against from Syria and from Egypt and Jordan. And they're almost not recognizing these territories as part of an independent entity. It's all very complicated, but what is the point of all of it if ultimately it's been the same old story since 1967? Yeah, I think the, the point, Bongani, is that in, in terms of the UN system, the Palestinians and others have realized that Israel enjoys the unequivocal uh, support of the, of the United States of America. In terms of the UN system, whether there's resolutions in the General Assembly, whether there's resolutions at the UN Security Council, America is always there to veto and to defend Israel. And so, in a way, that terrain of struggle has been lost, or it is not making an impact. This attempt, this new attempt with the International Court of Justice, is another 
fight of struggle to say, let us take it still part of the UN system, but the court is recognized as the world court. Let us then go to the world court. And if the court rules that indeed the occupation is illegal, it further emphasizes the need for Palestinians, one, to be able to resist as per international law, but also, two, to move towards self-determination, is to it, have their own viable state. I've asked this question before. Is the two-state solution still feasible? I mean, Benjamin Netanyahu doesn't think it is possible or at least desirable. And because of the settlements, say in the West Bank, for example, I mean, is the expansion of the Israeli state into Palestinian territories so entrenched that it is irreversible? Yeah, so let me answer it this way. There's two answers, Bongani. When I was there physically in Israel and Palestine, um, it became quite clear to me that the two-state solution is not possible. It's not viable. Um, the Israeli, the illegal Israeli settlements in the West Bank um, has encroached so much that a viable independent state for Palestine is not viable. They've already annexed East Jerusalem. When you are there, you, you can see that uh, Israelis have already taken complete control over East Jerusalem. Um, so a two-state solution practically is not necessarily viable. However, I think it's important that the, it is used, the, the two-state solution mantra is used as a mechanism towards successful negotiations. Because you're not going to be able to start negotiations with the Israelis if your starting point is that Israel must cease to exist. Because that is what we're seeing as an alternative. If we don't agree to a two-state solution, then you are effectively saying that there must be one state, which then implies a state where Jews and Arabs are going to live together as equals, which is what basically happens in South Africa. The white minority had to give up their rights and become citizens of one united South Africa. Now, if your starting point is that, then the Israelis are already saying, we're not coming to the negotiation table. There's no way we're losing the Israeli state. So I think the argument for a two-state solution is such that you bring the parties to the table and through that negotiation to realize that it is simply not viable. Or, or the Israelis must then make significant sacrifices complete withdrawal from the settlers in the West Bank, etc., in order to give some semblance of a viable Palestinian state. It remains as intractable as ever. Dr. Oscar van Heerden, appreciate your time, Senior Research Fellow at the University of Johannesburg. How do you negotiate on the basis of what is clearly a mirage?